everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conspiracy Pilled, the Mostly Hinge Conspiracy Podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams, mostly, sometimes, last week, not so much, uh, but Abby Libby is sick today and she's not joining me, so it's instead, we have the wonderful Katie Zed. Katie, how's it going today? You are muted. I, nobody can hear you. <laughs> Every time. Every time. It I wouldn't, it wouldn't be spelunking. Katie's at if she didn't. Yeah. Oh, sorry. She's spelunking or, or scuba diving or... It's cave diving, I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> private pilot lessons. Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to cover this with you tonight. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm very excited. So we had a little something different planned. And then, you know, Abby was feeling sick. And I've been sitting on this Kurt Cobain one that I've been wanting to do for a while. And it was just like the perfect time. Katie Zed, if you guys aren't familiar, has a channel called Overruled, and she does an absolutely fantastic job covering true crime, true crime cases. I can't speak today. I got to tell you, I've been kind of sick the last few days, too, and I'm hoping that yeah. it just kind of goes away. <laughs> so, <laughs> just ignore uh, it. It'll go away. I've been ignoring it. Yeah, I've been <laughs> trying to ignore it. So uh, we'll see. But tonight we're going to be covering Kurt Cobain. And it is going to be mostly hinged on YouTube. But as you guys know, we also go over to Rumble. We have a Rumble only section uh, after the main part of the show. And over there, it's probably going to get a little unhinged. I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you guys now (laughs) we are going to be talking about uh, obviously the first part is um, the whole true crime stuff of Kurt Cobain. Did he kill himself? If not, who killed him? That whole thing. Courtney Love. And then (laughs) we're going to be talking uh, in the more unhinged section on Rumble if Courtney Love was actually an MK Ultra asset, and I got to tell you guys, the evidence is more convincing than you would think. So I'm I'm just putting that out there. It's actually pretty interesting stuff. So uh, I'm kind of excited to hear that part. I don't know anything about that part. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do, and a lot of it. I think it all basically comes from this one book. Uh, but he backs up a lot of research. I'm trying to remember what the book is called. It's in my notes, like way down here, uh, by a guy named John Potash. I think it's called Drugs as as a Weapon or Okay. Scrolling down. Uh, it's called Dr- yeah, Drugs as a Weapon by John Potash. I had that right. Cool. So we're going to be talking about that book and what he has to say on Courtney Love and her MK Ultra uh, roots, <laughs> origins, origin story, butterfly tattoo. <laughs> I see that in the chat. Yeah, we'll talk about Monarch and all that good stuff. Um, really quick, before we get started, we also do some really great stuff over on Locals. And this week, again, since Abby's sick, we're going to be having another person you guys are probably familiar with, uh, Real Truth Cactus, joining me over on the Locals channel to talk about uh, The Simpsons Predicting the Future. I'm very excited about that. So if you guys want that episode or if you're an audio listener and you want to get the full podcast with the Rumble section and hear about Courtney Love being a part of MK Ultra, you guys can go to conspiracypill.locals.com and get all that stuff. Uh, and before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to Miss Jilly 7 Country Boy and Midwest Redneck for supporting us over on Locals. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate that. So, all right. So you, are you a fan of Nirvana? Are you familiar with them? What's your What's your um, thoughts before you? You know, decided? I was a teenager in the '90s, so I'm old. Um, <laughs> so you, at, at the time that Nirvana was popular, I was not because I they were too mainstream for me. <laughs> I was more into like the punk scene, like because you, you know, like ska and punk and stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Had like really heavy metal, nice. um, guar. I went to a lot of guar concerts, that sort of stuff. We have a very um, similar taste in music, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like so it. in my older age though, I, th- the songs are actually really good. So I've been, I, I've been listening to more popular music in my older age and, and they're good songs. Yeah. I like Nirvana. I'm not like the biggest Nirvana fan of all time, but I like, I like a lot of their stuff. So, yeah. um, 
yeah, they just kind of grow on you. It's, I don't know. They're pretty good. Uh, but um, yeah, so for people who are not familiar with, I'm not going to do a lot on who Kurt Cobain and Nirvana is. I'll do a little bit because I feel like everybody kind of knows. Uh, but really quick, just just to set the stage, because I want to cover the stuff that I think will be relevant to the case we're going to be making. So for Kurt Cobain, he was born on February 20th, uh, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. Uh, he suffered from chronic bronchitis and intense physical pain due, due to an undiagnosed chronic stomach condition, which apparently was later diagnosed. I know a lot of the sites you read say undiagnosed. It was later diagnosed as a pinched nerve. But for most of his life, he dealt with uh, really chronic st- uh, stomach pain. Yeah. And I heard an an interview um, that Kurt Cobain did that said the doctors figured it out and he wasn't in pain anymore. So towards the like, end of his at, life. Yeah. Towards, towards the very end of his life. Yeah. Also, yeah. Quest Fanning says Weird Al is better. That is the most based take. I love it. <laughs> True. <laughs> Smells like what is I the, what prefer is the, Weird Al cover songs. Me too. What's <laughs> like the name of that one? Covers them. What's the name of that one? He does. It's not. He does on ba- smells like teen spirit. It's uh, smells like Nirvana. I think is just what he calls it. I don't know, but it's, we should have played that for the intro. <laughs> we should have. You know, I already have enough problems with YouTube. You know, hitting me with the stuff. True. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the, the, the stomach pain is often cited as part of his heroin addiction. It's something that he said at one point, uh, he claimed that he was determined. Well, this is a few quotes that he said about his heroin. You said he was determined to get a habit as a way to self-medicate his stomach condition. And another quote, he said, it started with three days in a row of doing heroin and I didn't have stomach pain. That was such a relief. Uh, and there's going to be more on that later. I'll get into his drug use later. Um, a little bit more, you know, You'll hear the stuff. He had a sad childhood. I don't want to dwell on that. Let's get into Nirvana. He formed Nirvana <laughs> in 1987. Like I said, there's so much to get to. We can yeah. do an hour on who Kurt Cobain and Nirvana is. I'm just, it's not the show. Um, and Nirvana started in 1987 uh, under the name Skid Row uh, before they changed it and then released their first album, Bleach, in 1989, which quickly blew up and got them signed onto Geffen Records. Uh, and then it was in 1991 that they recorded their second album, Nevermind, which grew wildly faster than anyone expected. I think they said they only ordered like 40,000 copies at first, and they thought maybe over the lifetime of this record, if they were lucky, it would get 500,000 sales. Um, Wow. And by January, that was September of 1991. By January of 92, they were selling 300,000 copies a week, and they were selling out all of their tours. They're selling out stadiums within a few months. Yeah, Uh, we need to blow up like that. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so to many, uh, Nirvana is known as the band that became too famous too fast. That's kind of a, a Dave Grohl thing that he talks about. <clears throat> yeah. um, but I know what everyone really wants to talk about, and that's Courtney Love. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, for real. Um, is she just the most nasty person? Like she is. Yeah, she is. Like looking at her feels like licking uh, an ashtray with your eyes. That's a very good description. <laughs> like looking at, or like a bar, a bathroom and a bar and the floor, like just yeah. like the floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sticking like your that. eyeballs onto a bathroom floor in a seedy night venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't get it. I don't get how she's <laughs> dated so many famous people. She just seems like aids the person. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I know you want to stay on track, but funny story. Um, you know, Courtney Love was dating the lead singer from Sam- Smashing Pumpkins when her and Kurt first got together. And right. I've met Billy Corgan. I've actually been in his living room. Oh, um, I didn't know. That's awesome. And number two in the chat was with me. And we were talking today trying to figure out because there was a woman there as well. And we were like, "Is that was that Courtney Love? Like that 
was kind of mean to us and kicked us out. <laughs> um, so, but it wasn't it because we like figured Rambo. out the timeline and it was it was after it was it was after 1994. So it would have been it wouldn't have the timeline would have worked out. But gotcha. Well, her we'll get into it later, especially on the rumble section. But her timeline of where she's been and the things she's done is actually kind of confusing. She's been okay. everywhere. Yeah. Um, she's been in different music scenes, not just in Washington, but in Oregon and in Ireland and all, all over she, the place. She knew how to get famous just like Kamala Harris does. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I hope she had good knee pads. Yeah. Uh, so she, she was born July 9th of 1964 in San Francisco. Uh, and she uh, she did a lot of she, she did formed a lot of no name bands in the 1980s. Uh, she tried her hand at acting and stripping at the same time, uh, and she had a leading role in a movie called Straight to Hell in 1987. I've never heard of this movie. Like, it had some famous people in it. Have you ever heard of or Never seen heard it? of it. Nope. Yeah, maybe it was just before my time, but this is actually what Kurt would later say is where he first heard of Courtney Love. Uh, then she learned to play guitar, and I say sort of, like in my notes says, mm-hmm. learn to play guitar, sort of, because in 1988 was the first time she ever picked up a guitar. And she then, only play, she knew like three chords. Yeah, that's my point. Like, like I if that's if that's all you need to do, I can play guitar. <laughs> she knew how to sing poorly and pretend to play guitar. Uh, and within, be a slut. And be a slut. I mean, that no, she was good at that. Let's not take it that way from her. <laughs> okay, like you're right, something, you're right. something. You got to give her credit where credits due. Uh, yeah. And it was around the time that she was just figuring out how to play um, all three chords, G, D, and E, mm-hmm. uh, that she started <laughs> the band Hole. Uh, and that is actually how she met Kurt Cobain. But what's weird is I can't find a single story on how they actually met because everyone has a different story. They're in different years. Mm-hmm. They're at different times. It's really confusing. So I wonder if they're covering up the fact that she was <clears throat> cheating on Billy Corrigan. So some people have some store, one story, like there was a story made up so that that wasn't a thing. And it does seem just, like there's some crossover like that. Yeah. She was yeah, still with Billy Corrigan when she met Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain. Um, but what's one, the one thing that is clear about their meeting is that love was the one who actually pursued Cobain. Uh, she's the one who began making advances and Cobain kept breaking off dates and trying to ignore her. Uh, he once said, I was determined to be a bachelor for a few months, but I knew that I liked Courtney so much right away that it was really hard. Uh, it was a really hard struggle to stay away from her for so many months. Is that a surprise to anyone? She pursued him. No, you don't say. <laughs> no, it, it it lends into my MK Ultra theory later on. But uh, okay. yeah, but by 1991, uh, they were very often together and pretty much always high. Uh, and then by 1992, this so on February 24th, 1992, uh, a few days after the conclusion of Nirvana's Pacific Rim tour. Cobain and Love were married on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. Or Waikiki Beach, whatever. Is that what it is? I've never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way. Yeah. Waikiki Beach. It's, you know, I tried. I tried. It's um, like literally the most famous beach in Hawaii. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know what? I, I've talked about this a few times, but I've been to Hawaii twice and they wouldn't let us uh, out of the airport. So Really? Yeah, well, the military sucks. <laughs> they well, no, it was the Hawaiian like government. 
Oh. It was weird. I was like, isn't this an isn't this an, a state of the United States? State. And they were yeah. like, yeah, we can't let you out of the airport because you're like foreign nationals is what they were treating us like. It was strange. Like were it you almost, inbound from an like an overseas flight? Was it like a layover from? An no, overseas it was just flight? that's how I learned that Hawaiians generally hate the U.S. military. Like that was uh, that okay. was my way of learning that. And it was weird because I went to Guam on that same trip and they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, go walk around this island. It's the size of. Uh, a high school, have fun, you know, uh, but Guam was really nice to us and Hawaii was like extremely hostile. It was weird. Interesting. Yeah. So I didn't get to see in any of Hawaii, even though we were laid over there long enough to actually get to explore. They made us like stay and sleep like in the airport. And then the second time we went there, they made us stay and sleep on the plane. Um, you should put it on your bucket list, even though Hawaii yeah. sucks. As, well, like, I just won't go back states, in uniform, but it's my beautiful. Point. I just yeah, won't go back in beautiful. uniform. I'll just go back as a tourist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's my experience of Hawaii. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so you didn't make it to Waikiki Beach is what you're saying. That's my point. Yeah. 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 Um, so they were married on Waikiki Beach uh, and Cobain wore like pajamas and a purse. I saw the pictures. It was very I, interesting. I forgot to pull it up beforehand. So you guys can look it up. Just look up Kurt Cobain's wedding. You'll see he's wearing pajamas and a purse. He said he was mm-hmm. too lazy to wear a tux. And just looking into his history, like he often wore dresses and described himself as very feminine in his youth. Um, he said he wasn't, he, he also, he said a lot of weird stuff. He said if he wasn't attracted to love, he would probably be bisexual. And he once wrote that he wished he was bisexual just to piss off homophobes. So I like, I feel like a lot of it's just trolling on Kurt Cobain's yeah. part. He was a, he was a, the ultimate troll before the internet was even a thing. Right. Yeah. For sure. I mean, he hated fame, too. Like, he trolled people in a lot of ways. Like, his most famous songs, he would go up on stage and just change the lyrics. Yeah. Like, at this, at you know, at last second. So, he just didn't care. I think he just wanted to piss people off. Even his fans. He just kind of didn't care. Which, it's a, it's, it's weird because he wanted to be famous so badly when he was a teenager. And then once he got there, he didn't like it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he apparently hated it. Um, yeah. There was only eight people in attendance at his wedding, including Dave Grohl, uh, and his best friend Kurt Novoselic and his wife were not in attendance, uh, which is interesting. There's different stories on this. Some say that it's because Courtney hated them. Um, according to Chris, though, it was because he felt like Courtney was the reason that Chris or that Kurt was so into heroin. She was a bad influence on him. And then, I think that's true. I think it's true too. But what's really funny is that, and, and this is coming from Courtney Love, and just. Fair warning for the rest of the episode. Anytime I say this comes from Courtney Love, take it with the largest grain of salt because I don't trust a thing this woman has ever said. Uh, but yes. she says that she was warned by the Sonic Youth bassist Kim Gordon that marrying Cobain would destroy her life. <laughs> well, she was pregnant at the time, too, with Francis, right? She was. Yeah. Francis yeah. was born like seven months after they got married, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, it's just funny to me because it's like it, it sounds like Kim trying to be or not Kim. It sounds like Courtney trying to be like, well, you know, like I'm really she does this all the time. She's always trying to be like, well, I'm really the famous one. I kind of gave it up for Kurt because people loved yeah. Horace so much. Like one yeah. point she was even claiming that uh, she turned down Lollapalooza because Kurt wanted to play Lollapalooza more like the headline. Yeah. Like no one asked Hole to play the headline at Lollapalooza. Did Nirvana play Lollapalooza? They did. Uh, the One of the big things we're going to get into is they were supposed to play the 1994 Lollapalooza, and that was something that him and Courtney fought over a lot because he wanted to turn it down. I bet I've seen Nirvana live and just don't even remember. I went to all of the Lollapaloozas in Chicago when I was up If there. I'm correct, they 
I don't know if they headlined, but they definitely played in 93. Okay. So I don't know if you, which Lollapalooza you went to. I've never been to Lollapalooza. Um, probably from like 92 or 93 all the way till 97 or 98. I think they played 92 and 93. I know they played yeah. 93 because that was some, something I've heard brought up is like, Maybe Kurt didn't want to play because 93 was like notoriously one of the worst Lollapaloozas or something like that. I have no idea. It All the seem shows to be the I case. went to kind of run together in my head. So I don't, I don't yeah. remember. Well, especially festivals too. Like I've been to yeah. some festivals where it's like it's three days of camping outdoors and just being constantly bombarded by new bands and, and sound. Yeah. And it's kind of a it's kind of a haze. Yeah. The one the only one that sticks into my head, what I don't remember what year it was, but Corn uh, played immediately followed by Cypress Hill. And it was one of the best times I've ever had in my life. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never actually seen Corn. Yeah. I saw um, Brian Head Welch and I got to meet him at oh, a nice. Cornerstone Festival. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> he was a cool guy. Um, I, it was, that was pretty fun. Uh, but uh, let's see. Going back to, to, to Cobain, um, I want to talk a little bit about his drug abuse. So just a little bit on it is... Uh, Every, from a lot of accounts, he started smoking weed at 13, and throughout his teenage years, he started getting into LSD, like really heavily into LSD. Uh, and then after that, it was pretty much anything he could get his hands on. So he was doing um, all kinds of pills. He was huffing paint. He was, you know, LSD, weed, whatever. And it was about 1986 where he found heroin for the first time when he went to his drug dealer that he was using to get oxycodone. And the guy's like, what about heroin? Same stuff. Yeah. What about heroin? You know, let's just try that. And he just got really, really into it. So uh, Nova Selleck, um once said of him, he said he he's really into getting uh, effed up on drugs, acid, any kind of drug. And by 1992, uh, this is when it really starts to affect his music career. So he's falling asleep during interviews and photo shoots because he was shooting up like before everything he went to. Like if he ever went out into public for for anything at all, he was shooting up yeah. beforehand. No, I've been there. You have to get through the day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because you, so you, I mean, because we've talked about this, but you've had mm -hmm. a, an addiction in the past. Yeah, I was addicted to heroin in the 90s. It was very popular. So I know all about it, <laughs> you know, and that's why at first when this was brought up about Kurt Cobain's death, I could totally see somebody addicted to heroin killing themselves, you know. <clears throat> right. Um, and then, but man, we're going to get into it, guys. You're going to we'll, see. We'll get it's not into all, it. It's yeah. not, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, this is the thing about like a lot of these uh, celebrity suicide um, things, right? Is it's always someone that you could see committing suicide. And I yeah. think that's on purpose because like we haven't covered it yet, but um, Marilyn Monroe, mm -hmm. like she had tried to commit suicide before. But then when you look at the facts around her death, it's like, I don't think she committed suicide though. And it's so weird. Yeah. It's like they take someone where it's so obviously you could see it, like someone who's super addicted to heroin, someone mm -hmm. who's depressed, someone who wants to quit the music industry. Um, Cause that's something that we'll, we'll get into, but uh, it, it wouldn't be surprising if he did. No, what's surprising is that he didn't OD before he, you know, before they shot him or he shot himself <clears throat> or whatever happened. Right. Well, yeah, because he had actually OD'd a few times. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he OD'd uh, the morning after his SNL appearance in 1992 and according to love, she resuscitated him. Now, this one's weird to me because the only account of this comes from a Courtney Love book she wrote in like 2006. So, again, I don't even know if this happened. I never heard of it. <laughs> I don't think it happened, to be honest with yeah. you. Like, the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, oh, this is literally just coming from one source. And it's the least credible source in all of this. Yeah. But, 
But uh, prior to a performance at the New Music Seminar in New York City on July 23rd, 1993, and this is documented by a lot of people, uh, Cobain suffered. It's a, I put another overdose, but maybe it was the first. I don't know because I just don't trust the SNL one. Um, but instead of calling for an ambulance, this is where Love injected him with the drug naloxone, and he went on to play the show that same night. I don't believe it because A... What, well, I could see her not calling the cops or the ambulance or whatever, but um, it the fact that she didn't say anything about it until after he was dead or leading up to like when <clears throat> right before she died, like it this didn't come. It, nobody knew about it prior to her trying to set up the fact that he was suicidal, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, like that's the thing is like this one. I'm not I feel I find it more credible because other people have talked about it, the, the music seminar one other mm-hmm. than the SNL one. But a lot of this stuff is coming out in the weeks prior to or after uh, Kurt's uh, death. So, again, take a lot of this with a grain of salt. Um, There's also a December. So this is this is another theory that I want to put out. And I'm not sure I believe this one, but I've heard a lot of uh, people who are really big fans of Nirvana want to believe this. So, again, it's like it feels more hopeful than I think is true. Uh, But there's a December 1993 interview where people claim that Kurt seemed really happy. And this is where he said he finally found drugs that helped with his stomach problem. Uh, He was, you know, doctors figured it out. It was a pinched nerve and they got him on something. Um, Maybe maybe it was a drugs plus uh, like chiropractic something. But either way, he was dealing with it. Um, and a lot of people believe, and I, I don't personally believe this, that this is the point where he had kicked his, his heroin addiction. I don't think he ever did. I don't think so either. I really don't like, I know some people really want to push this and I'll, I'll present it, but I just, I don't buy it. Um, but that's kind of something that people point out, uh, when it comes to uh, a few of the instances we're going to be talking about coming up. But before we get into those, uh, talking about drugs, my only drug of choice, well, I guess I like nicotine <laughs> is caffeine. I love coffee. A lot. I'm drinking. You have a North Arrow over there too. I do. Which one do yeah. you have right now? Um, I have the. I think it's number nine breakfast blend. Whatever the breakfast blend is. That's nice. I, I have not right tried now. the breakfast blend yet. I am drinking the Christmas blend right now, and I love it. I, I still am not sure which one I like more, that one or the peppermint. But I think I'm going to go with the peppermint as my favorite currently. Yeah? That one's really. You good. like those flavored coffees, huh? <laughs> 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 you know, I just, I don't know. I just like the, I like mint. So I don't know. It's, uh, I, I just ordered uh North arrow coffee for both of my sisters for Christmas presents. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So if you guys want to get some North arrow coffee and support a really great company that supports this show, you guys go to North and you can use code PJ 10 to get 10% off. I would tell you Abby 10, but she's not here. So she doesn't get to push her code. So, you know, if you're going to use I use the PJ code. <laughs> yeah. PJ 10 for 10% off and uh, support a really great company, North Arrow Coffee. The really, truly great coffee. Like, I love this coffee. So um, that's, very, that's it really is very good. Yeah. Well, I've been like, I've said this before, but I've been telling people about North Arrow since before we were like partnered in, in a in a way like that. So I tell people about it on my stream and I'm not partnering with them. It's just really, I always have a coffee drink when I'm, when right. I'm on stream and it's just really good coffee. It is. And Rob's just a really great guy. So I always, I always yeah. love supporting the brand. So uh, there you go. North coffee.co PJ 10. Let's talk about the March 4th of 1994 Rome incident. Cause this is where kind of what we we're alluding to with Courtney putting a certain message out there about Kurt being suicidal. So now I know you're a child, but I remember when this happened, I thought that he was dead. They like announced that he had died. Oh, I I didn't know that. So, you know, what's what's interesting is like, I was three years old when this happened. I literally (laughs) just turned three. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks, PJ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I literally just turned three. And I, it's funny because I didn't really know Nirvana when Kurt Cobain died, but I still remember uh, when he died being a news story. Oh, I was probably yeah, four years. Okay. I was four years old when that happened. And it's one of my first like memories of, of the news was like this whole thing. And my mom was really into true crime stuff. So I think the first true crime show I ever watched uh, as a kid was about Kurt Cobain. Like a Dateline episode about Kurt Cobain. Yeah, it's, I just <laughs> yeah. remember it vividly. I remember where I was at when I watched it too. It's really weird, but it's some of those early memories. So yeah, um, but yeah, I didn't really know much about Kurt Cobain or Nirvana for years after that. But uh, so there was a, there in, in uh, again, March 4th, 1994, uh, Kurt and Courtney were on a trip to Rome and Courtney woke up to find Cobain had overdosed on a combination of champagne and Rohypnol. So you, you do a true crime show. What is Rohypnol? <laughs> I don't know exactly. Oh, okay. It's roofies. It's roofies. It, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's like a blackout drug. Um, but I've never heard of somebody taking it recreationally, I guess. I've only heard of it as like, do they slip it to somebody and then like, Right. You know. That's kind of the thing, too, is like, I don't and I, I don't I guess I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like a recreational drug. No, it's but, again, it's called roofies for a reason. Like this is the date rape drug. I I think that like people get it prescribed for sleeping disorders. Yeah, it, like, I think do. you can get a prescription. For they it. do because this was Courtney. This was Courtney Love's prescription that she got in England. OK, uh, her Rohypnol. So she took it supposedly for a sleeping disorder mm. and. Uh, or to drug her husband. Or to drug her husband. And uh, so she she claimed later this was his first suicide attempt. Um, and at one point after Kurt's death, she wrote a uh, – she said that he wrote a suicide note, but she destroyed it. So she claimed – again, all of this she claimed after Kurt Cobain's death that this was his first suicide attempt and there was a suicide note and everything. But at the time – uh, the doctor repeatedly denied that this was a suicide mm -hmm. attempt. He also said that the pills were crushed, which is not the way you would take Rohypnol. Oh, because I bet they pumped his stomach immediately they when did. he got to the hospital. They pumped his stomach and they found that the pills were crushed as if someone slipped them into his drink. Well, true. Also, drug addicts like to crush up drugs and snort them. Yeah, yeah. And so again, it's it, just this is just what the doctor said. He did not believe it was a suicide attempt. Okay. Um, All right. But, and I, like, he was pretty adamant about that. Um, and the other thing that some people have pointed out is that there's nothing in the report that mentions heroin in his blood. So, this, again, it just kind of goes back to the theory that people have that he was clean by this point. I, I don't buy it. But how can you overdose on Rohypnol? I don't know. Well, you I mean, if you mix Rohypnol with alcohol, it can I stop guess. your heart. So it's the people say it's kind of like taking like when they tell you not to take uh strong narcotics like you know um like oxycontin like oxycontin with alcohol it can like just the best time to drink or no sorry it way. doesn't stop <laughs> it doesn't stop your heart it stops you from breathing in your sleep. It yeah any any opioid overdose <laughs> is you you feel like you can't breathe. Um I know from experience like you feel like you cannot breathe. Um, but you can't communicate that that's anybody either. So like you can, you, you're, you can consciously feel yourself dying. It's really scary. <laughs> yeah. I think someone in chat, Mr. SS says sedative hypnotic. Is that what people use it for? As like, uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he did like do this combination, but according to the reports, I'm just reporting what people are saying. Uh, Kurt was extremely furious at Courtney when he woke up. 
And again, she didn't say that this was a suicide attempt till later. The doctor was saying that it wasn't. And he said it was suspicious that the pills were crushed. So, uh, and then the weirdest part of this all is that she found him at about 3 a.m. and didn't call an ambulance until 6.30. Which sounds like something you might do if you were hoping that your husband would just die. Yeah. True. Or if also, you were afraid that you don't want to get, get caught with drugs. Right. There's two. Yeah, of course. There's two things here. It's like, do you want to... Are you trying to like hope he wakes up because you don't want to get in trouble or are you going like, oh, wait, I didn't really wake up yet. Yeah. I'm going to go back to sleep and hope that when I wake up next time, he's not breathing. Like, I don't want to get too far off the track, but when I OD, no ambulance was called. Right. Yeah. My friends did CPR on me, threw me in a cold shower, like, you know, made me throw up, that sort of stuff. Yeah, like anything to avoid getting in trouble. Any anything to avoid calling nine one one. Yeah, so I can again, I can see that in both ways. Um, and then this one, this one is less. This one is worse for Courtney though. Is March eighteenth of nineteen ninety four. Uh, they're back in their home in Seattle, and Love phoned the police to inform them that that Cobain was suicidal and had locked himself in a room with a gun. Uh, the police arrived and said that Kurt was in the backyard and completely calm. He didn't have a gun on him, and he didn't appear to be on drugs. So at this point, the police ask him to sit in the back of the cop car and just talk to them. And so he does, and he has a conversation with him. He told him he's not suicidal and that he had locked himself in the room previously just to hide from Courtney Love. Understandable. Uh, Which I think this happens a few times where she's getting angry and violent. Apparently, at this point, they were arguing about Lollapalooza, as I said. This is the point where he is... Offered nine million dollars to headline Lollapalooza, and he doesn't want to do it. Wow. Yeah, he I, he's pretty much done with music at this point, and yeah. all of his close friends around him, including Dave Grohl, had said at this point he was going to leave the band. Okay. Um, so this is a month before. This is less than a month before his death. Mm-hmm. He's turning down Lollapalooza. He's talking about wanting to leave the band. He, according to some people, he's talking about wanting to leave Courtney as well. Um. That's what I heard. Right. And uh, still, uh, oh, also, Courtney later admitted that she did not see him with a gun and that he never threatened to kill himself. So even by her own words, she made all this up to call She's the police. She's a manipulative B word yeah. is what she is. And she would do or say anything to get what she wanted. Yeah. And I'm sure we all have known women like that at some point in our life. <laughs> like everybody, everybody has. Yeah. <laughs> there's just people like that. It's <clears throat> It, and I don't know if it's that they're crazy or that they're narcissistic. You know what I mean? It's a little but, of both, I think. I think yeah. she's just straight up psycho. Some sort of personality disorder for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so still after all this, they, the cops decide to to calm Courtney down. At her insistence, they confiscate several guns from the home and a bottle of pills. And what's, what some people say is that this was Kurt's stomach medicine. Oh so, no. I'm and I'm pretty sure that's accurate. I couldn't confirm it, but it does seem to be what a lot of people reported that this was his stomach medicine. So this goes back Why to Why would the, the cops take stomach medicine? If Courtney told him it was something else, that it was hard drugs, if she was trying to I don't know. Be be a manipulative B-word? Be a manipulative. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of different people who have said that this was the, you know, he had finally gotten. And again, I'm not saying he got clean, but the, the the conspiracy there is that some people say he finally got clean because he was able to deal with his stomach issues. And this is where his stomach, is, his stomach medicine's taken away and yeah. his guns are taken away and his 
life is really changing right now. Like he's going to leave the band. His wife is trying to like, I don't know, get him death by cop or something like she just, or yeah. just be manipulative. Like she's just being crazy. Um, so a few days after this, uh, Courtney Love arranged an uh, intervention regarding Cobain's drug use on March 5th, 1994. And again, this has been speculated to not actually be what we're told that it was not about drug use, that this was because he was leaving. Because if you look at the 10 people who were involved, it was musician friends, the record company executives, and uh, one of his closest friends, Dylan Carlson. So some people speculate that it was not actually about drugs, that they were trying to pressure him into staying in Nirvana because they were all riding his coattails and he was making them all millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine... Just imagine, if you will, having like, let's say you have a drug issue and then somebody throws you an intervention who is also on drugs. That's it what doesn't gets even make worse any about sense this. at all, does it? That's what gets even worse about this is because when he does eventually go to rehab, as we'll see, Courtney Love has her own rehab. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so at this point, Cobain was angry and he locked himself in his room again. Uh, and he does, and eventually they talked him into joining a detox program. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, also talking about him wanting to leave. Um, this was at the same time. And Michael Stipe backs us up from REM that he was having secret meetings to record music, not approved by the record label with Michael Stipe, totally just for fun. Like they were just yeah. two friends. He's sick of the whole thing. He's sick of the fame. He's sick of playing shows. He's sick of Courtney. He's sick of being dragged around and used. And he just wants to make the music he wants to. Cause I don't. I'm sure you guys have heard this like secondhand or third hand, or you maybe believe this from a movie that when you're in the music industry, it's very controlling on the type of music you create and you don't mm. have as much control as you think. I know this both first and second hand. And who controls that PJ? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I forgot Kanye's not here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conversation for another time. Um, but, I uh, did see an interview though, after he did the MTV unplugged that right. he really enjoyed ac acoustic kind of folk music. And that's um, what I believe he was working with Michael Stipe on at the time. Yeah. And you heard he did record some uh, covers of like folk songs. So I think yeah. he was trying to do that. And of course that's not selling in the nineties folk music. You know, I got to say though, his cover of man who sold the world is fantastic. It brings tears to your eyes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I actually like. I, I people might get mad at me for this. I like it better than the David Bowie original. Yeah, and yeah. the um, the my girl, the where oh, did you sleep yes. last night? Yeah. That one too. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, he yeah. was he was doing some interesting stuff, and I think again they had a certain reputation they needed from Kurt Cobain, mm -hmm. a certain style of music that was selling three hundred thousand copies a week, and yeah. they weren't going to let him get away with it. But no, I mean I have I have you know again friends who have been signed with Sony who mm -hmm. said they recorded, wrote and recorded 94 songs before they got an album of 12 that was approved by the label. Oh, my goodness. So it's very much like you have to, yeah. You you don't have creative control at this point. That's a topic for yeah. another day. <laughs> it is, yeah. So when they told me that, like, I, I knew these, we were signed to the same label at one point as these guys, good friends of mm -hmm. mine. And then they, I, I kind of stepped away from music and they kept going and got really big and they got signed to Sony. We're doing all these tours and I got to meet up with them again. And they're like, Man, their stories about what working for Sony was like was like, yeah, yeah. Kind of glad I didn't stay in that uh, industry. Uh, even at the low levels, it was bad. Mm -hmm. But anyway, another another conversation for another day. But again, like this is when he was talking with Michael Stipe. This is when he was trying to leave. So it's kind of backed up by pretty much everybody, which is why I'm not entirely sure uh, that this meeting was exactly what they're telling us it is. Um, 
So after this, Cobain arrives at the Exodus Recovery Center in Los Angeles on March 30th of 1994. And the staff there said that they saw no indication that Cobain was in a negative state of mind. Uh, when he went there, he was visited by his daughter. And this was the last time that he ever saw her. He was only there for less than two days. I think he showed up yeah. <clears throat> on the 30th, on March 30th. And then the next day, April 1st, he <clears throat> hops a plane or hops, hops the wall uh, yes, it's the following night. Cobain walked outside to have a cigarette and climbed over a six foot high fence to leave the facility. And he could have checked himself out. Like this was not court mandated. Yeah. Um, he was there voluntarily, but I think he just wanted to get a head start before. I th- yeah. I think if you check yourself out, then they call your next of kin or your emergency contact, which probably would have been Courtney on that paperwork. And I think he was trying to get away from her. Right. Well, he left at night, too. So I'm wondering if he was hoping they wouldn't notice till the morning or something. Yeah. Also, she was in a hotel very close to in L.A., um, very close to where he was. And he did not go to her hotel. He went back to Seattle. Right. Yeah. We'll talk about that night. Right. We'll talk about the hotel, too, because that's that's pretty interesting. But yeah, so he he got a a taxi from uh, to take him to the Los Angeles airport and he flew back to Seattle and it says that he purchased two tickets. And this is where, again, like I can't find a lot of concrete evidence on this. Uh, People say he was with a mystery woman. According to Courtney, again, he was with his drug dealer named Caitlin, uh, who she believed he was having an affair with. That would make sense. I mean, I don't know about the affair or whatever, but it would make sense that he would have his drug dealer meet him if he's escaping from rehab. Um, Because you don't. And I've seen pictures that he took with fans at the airport that night, like the last photos of Kurt Cobain or whatever. And he doesn't look sick. And if you had been off heroin for two days, you would be in rough shape right then. Again, yeah, again, and that's us both believing that he was still on heroin. This is, again, oh, some yeah. people are like, oh, he looked healthy, so maybe he was completely like off. He d- you don't quit heroin cold turkey. No. I mean, not without, without yeah. a week-long locked somewhere, you know. With a wife who is using the it's entire using, time. Yeah. No. And she's using, she was using while she was pregnant. I mean, everybody around him is on heroin or yep. some type of drug. Like, you're not going to be in that lifestyle and just quit cold turkey because your stomach stops hurting. They had their baby taken away when, like, yeah. these are famous people with millions of dollars that because the kid was born with heroin in her system, yeah. like, like. They're the type of people that if it was just like, oh, maybe or like, oh, maybe she was doing something, they would have enough money to that not to happen to them. Um, So there was definitely she was using while she was pregnant. Oh, yeah. She was never stopped using. Um, The other thing, too, I forgot to mention is after uh, the March 18th thing where he got his guns taken away, he -hmm. had his best friend Dylan Carlson buy him a 20 gauge shotgun. Mm -hmm. So that's it's important to know that it was bought before the rehab escape and all that. Um, Yeah. He he believed in self-defense like he always had guns. He had an AR-15 that Courtney had taken away from him before. He had a, a pistol. She was always trying to like make sure the cops took his guns away. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the instances wasn't that important to the story, but I think it had to do with them like trying to take his daughter away because she lied about him there, too. Um, so yeah. he got another gun uh, before he went to rehab. Uh, and then April 1st, um, uh, 847 p.m., Kurt calls Courtney and leaves a message at the Peninsula Hotel where Courtney is staying for her own in-house rehab, <laughs> which uh, according to Tom Grant is her partying in a hotel with friends and doing drugs the entire time. Yeah. Like the way you, that they describe it is basically like drugs and orgies is their form of in-house rehab. If you want to quit drugs, you don't like I could 
I could understand if somebody wants to get away from their environment to quit drugs and they don't have a lot of money. They just go put themselves. She could go to the nicest, fanciest sandals escape toward of sort of, you know, right. resort type rehab where there's medical staff and they're monitoring your vitals and, you know. Yeah. But you don't go to she a locks hotel. herself in a hotel with her drug dealer and her druggy friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so then on April 2nd, Kurt, uh, Kurt arrives back in Seattle and he's picked up by a cab at his house from the Gray Top Cab Company. And the cab driver says that he could not identify the passenger, but he thought his appearance did not match the resident of the house, which is interesting because he might not actually be talking about Kurt Cobain. He might be talking about Michael Callie DeWitt, mm-hmm. who's an interesting person. So Michael Callie DeWitt and his girlfriend, Jessica, were living in uh, the Cobain's house and they were the nannies for uh, their daughter, Francis, and they took care of everything. What's interesting about Michael is he's also Courtney Love's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Also on drugs. Also very heavily on drugs, taking like care of their daughter. Yeah, It's a nanny who's on heroin and crack. Who, and who gets their wife's ex-boyfriend on heroin to watch your daughter for you? It's like weird. most of the time, considering they're like always on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very weird. Basically. Yes. I'm gonna have my druggy my my wife's druggy ex-boyfriend raised my child for me that's weird yeah. that's weird and, and go ahead and stay at the house while <clears throat> i'm on tour by the way yeah yeah <laughs> so the the cab picked uh, this person up at 7 30 a.m and took them to a gun store to buy shotgun shells um courtney at this time also plants a false story in the media and uh, uh, that she had a drug overdose mm-hmm. uh and admits this to tom grant later on so She's planning a lot of stories this time. She's planning a lot of what people at the time knew about this this case. And also, I think we should point out when we say she admits this to Tom Grant, it's not just Tom Grant's word against hers. He actually has these um, phone calls recorded. He has these conversations recorded of her saying these things. Right. And that's what I wanted to get into next was about Tom Grant. So on Easter Sunday, this is April 3rd, the next day, this is where Courtney hires uh, the private investigator, Tom Grant. And he only, he's the only investigator to answer his phone on Easter, apparently. She'd called a bunch of people, uh, but he was in his office with another client at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And she calls him to investigate someone using Kurt's credit card. Uh, and then she find, he finds out that, well, someone's not actually using Kurt's credit card, but she had called the company and had it canceled because she wanted Kurt to not be able to run away and have money. So yeah. uh, he finds all that out, and she wants him to find Kurt after he escaped rehab. That's the real reason she called. So originally, she's lying to him, and at this point, t- uh, Tom Grant says that it's so weird that he's going to record every single conversation with Courtney from then on. So we don't have recordings of the first meeting. We have his word there, but everything else is recorded. She says a lot of really strange and really damning things. Well, it makes sense for him to want to record it when the very first interaction you have with a new client turns out to be a lie. Yeah, everything she's telling him is a lie. And we'll see like through the next, uh, uh, we're on the third, the next five days, like everything mm-hmm. she says is a lie. Yeah. Um, so, and, and right away, so after he gets that out of her, after she, he finds out that it's not about a stolen credit card, that she wants him to track down her husband, uh, she starts putting the idea in Tom's head that Kurt is suicidal and that he has a shotgun that his friend bought him. So this is a right away, like right away. We're going to set this up that this is the thing that I want people to know that Kurt is suicidal and has a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also talks about how publicity will help sell records since hole has a new album coming out this week. I actually have that clip for you guys. Let me see if I got it here. Yeah, let's play this. But, um, 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the press always perceives me as, like, you know, completely tragic and fucked up anyway, and I have, like, a record coming out. So, you know, selfishly, it might even help sell records. <laughs> like, on one hand, she wants to find her husband, and she's worried that he might be suicidal, and she has time to chat about how, well, you know, in the long run, this will help me sell records. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, if nothing else, even if he didn't end up dead, it's really trashy and creepy. It, yeah, well, sh- trashy and creepy is probably the best two words to describe Courtney Love, so. Well, I'm trying not to swear, so. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so talking about Tom Grant, uh, he he actually didn't meet with Courtney alone. He had his employee, Ben Klugman, with him, so the first meeting is actually also backed up by Ben Klugman. And then after that, it's all backed up by tapes. And he's yeah. since made a career out of trying to convince people that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain. He made a documentary called Soaked in Bleach, which is actually very good if you guys want to check it out. And uh, not a great website, but a lot of good resources is coin, uh, CobainCase.com, which is where that recording I just played uh, for you comes from. Um, Soaked in Bleach is free on Tubi right now, by the way. And Peacock as it. well. That's where I watched it. Okay. I watched it again today. Yeah. Um, what's is Tubi? I've never used Tubi. Is that? It's just the internet okay. streaming. Yep. that's free. Yep. So good, good documentary. If you guys are very interested in the case, and uh, there's some dramatizations, some reenactments. There, they play a lot of the clips of what Courtney says. So, uh, like it's, I it's know good. that you know my um history with documentaries and podcasts and things like that. We know that they're always trying to sell you their side of the story. Right. So I always take any documentary or anything like that with a huge grain of salt and the fact that he made his career after this case that he worked on out of this case really made me not want to believe him at all but man when you get down to brass tacks it's like it's it's hard not to believe his story it's It's really really hard not to believe his story and again like i agree with you a lot of these times people are trying to sell you something Mm -hmm. and the people around him who were inclined not to believe him at first have all kind of said this guy's got a pretty impeccable record he's a pretty honest guy so there's there's thing you know you're definitely have to take everything with a grain of salt because he's he's trying to make a case out of it for sure but man when you like look at the evidence and you you know fact check what he's saying he seems to be pretty honest and the the tapes are pretty bad yeah that's what i do is i fact check like if i don't know if anybody's watching that doesn't know my channels but i fact check podcasts and documentaries (laughs) about true crime so i'm always um like i the the thing that i do when i'm watching a documentary is i think to myself what are they not telling me because they're always not telling you something right so um I gotta Most say, of the like, stuff in this documentary is very on point. I've said this before, but your um, coverage of the Kevin Cooper case was one of my favorites. Um, oh, thank you. I've heard, uh, you know, I, just the way that you pointed out how everybody's kind of using the same exact sources and you went above and beyond to find, uh, you know, some really groundbreaking stuff with that was, was I thought, great. So if you yeah. guys haven't checked out Overruled, definitely uh, go check out Overruled. I'll try to drop it in the chat for you guys watching if you haven't followed Katie's Ed yet. But Yeah, and I trust uh, PJ will link it in the description. Of oh, you know what? Is it, going. Is, it is in the description. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you guys can check it out there too. Uh, so let's, let's move on to April 4th. So this is where Courtney calls the media and she's pretending to be Kurt's mother, Wendy. Uh, she says that Kurt is missing and suicidal, puts it out in the media. So for days, people are saying Kurt Cobain's mother is concerned. He's missing. He's suicidal. And then not only that, but she files a missing persons report with the police as Kurt's mother. 
imagine being Kurt's mother and seeing this like on the local news or whatever, right. you know, like, could you imagine? <laughs> like, no. wait, wait a minute. I didn't say that. Like, and she probably didn't even know what was going on with Kurt at the time. Yeah. She's like, what? Kurt's missing and he's suicidal. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Uh, and this is also the same day she tells Tom Grant to search for drug for this drug dealer, Caitlin. Uh, yeah. who he never finds, so I don't know if I believe she exists. Maybe she does. I don't know. But I couldn't find a lot of hard evidence on her as a person. I want to say, if I remember correctly, there was some evidence that she, he was at their – they had another home in the Seattle area. They did, yeah. Carnation, was it? The Carnation place, yeah. yeah. Um, that he was there with a woman. I don't he know pro- if it's I mean, this you person, know, I but- mean, the thing is, too, like, it. I don't think it changes the facts of the case, whether he was having an affair or if he was with this drug Not dealer, Caitlin. But I do think she was using this as a way to get him to run around uh, and look needlessly because we'll see she leads him on some wild goose chases. Well, and if he was having an affair, it kind of um, it, it it's why Courtney was being so crazy. Right. I think it, I honestly don't think it was the affair. I think it was the money. I think Hole was never a big thing, and she was always no. riding Kurt, uh, Kurt's coattails. But if you know that your husband has another woman already, oh, for sure. and there's a divorce, it, it all ties in together, the money and the for affair. Sure. And, and it doesn't and matter that. that she was definitely having affairs on him, too. Like, that doesn't factor into a crazy person's mind. Not in her. Yeah, she's yeah. a narcissist. That yeah, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> she tells him to go searching for this drug dealer, Caitlin, but definitely don't search the house. That's something she's like, don't search the house. Michael Kelly DeWitt's there. We have a nanny there. He would have told me if Kurt was there. Yeah. Uh, by the way... At this point, two days after Kurt had definitely been to the house on April 2nd, Mm -hmm. she still had not told Tom Grant that Kurt was at that house. Mm -hmm. So she's saying, well, if he was there, Michael would tell me, but also I'm not going to tell you that he was there. Um, Then Courtney tells the police to search the other property and to look into Caitlin as well. So she tells the police and Tom to search for Caitlin and to check out the Carnation home, but not their main residence in Seattle. It's because, wait, what date? This was before he had actually died, right? This is April 4th. Now, we're going to get yeah. April 5th now, and this is the day where Kurt dies, according mm-hmm. to forensics. Now, I've heard some people say it could be moved so many hours to swear that way because the place well, were sketchy. But just in general, when a body is found and you don't find it right away where there's rigor mortis or yeah. like the temperature, it's a 12 hour window. Right. Yep. So it still happened on the 5th, pretty much, is, mm-hmm. is what we know. So this is, the, again, he was not found until the 8th, but this is the 5th where he's he dies this day. Uh, and this is when Courtney hires an electrician to install security lights on the greenhouse above the garage. This is ultimately where Kurt Cobain's body would be found. Uh, and then she tells Tom to start checking all the expensive hotels in the area. So she gives him a list of pseudonyms to check, and Tom finds nothing and starts looking at cheap motels, And this is where he finds the name Bill Bailey, uh, which is one of the pseudonyms she gave him. So he tells Courtney and she tells him not to call. She doesn't want Kurt to know she's looking for him, which is weird because that's what he hired him for or she hired him for. So she calls Tom back afterwards and she says, oh, it's okay. I called and it wasn't him. Uh, And later on, uh, he finds out from all of uh, all of Kurt's friends that him and Courtney did like to go and stay in hotels and do drugs. That was a thing they would do. They would just eat potato chips and stay in hotels for yep. days or weeks at a time on heroin. But he would never, even with all of his money, never stay at fancy hotels. He liked the dives. He liked the cheap motels. Yeah, he liked the cheap motels. Yep. So that was a thing, which, is, again, sounds like a wild goose chase. If she's sending him to expensive motels, and when he looks at the cheap ones and finds someone that might be him, she kind of scuttles that. I don't think she was expecting to get a private investigator that was good at his job when I don't she think called so him. Either. 
Yeah, I don't yeah. think so either. I wonder if that's why she called on uh, Easter. She's like, someone desperate will take Maybe. this case, you know? Yeah. Um. So then we go on to April 6th. This is where she calls the electricians again to find out when they're coming. It's starting to sound suspicious that she's like, hey, can somebody find this body? Yeah. You know, the greenhouse specifically. We need security lights there all of a sudden mm -hmm. for some reason. Um, and this is, uh, also the day that Michael DeWitt's girlfriend, Jessica leaves Seattle home and does not return. And DeWitt finally calls Dylan Carlson to see if he's seen Kurt, you know, five days after he's been missing, he calls his best friend. Um, then Courtney finally tells Grant that DeWitt saw Kurt on April 2nd. Uh, and she says that she can't leave the hotel to check for Kurt because of business reasons. So Grant is flying back and forth between California and Seattle to do this yeah. investigation. He's meeting with her in person. Um, so at this point, Grant decides he's going to go search the home and he picks up Dylan Carlson and he questions him about the gun. Uh, he says he doesn't think Kurt is suicidal and that Kurt never stays at fancy hotels. He always stays at dumps. So they go and search the home and never find him. Uh, then on April 7th. So there's some questions there because obviously he's in the home dead at this point. Yeah. Um, and later he's like, oh, I never thought to check this room. It makes Dylan Carlson look suspicious. It really does. It really, it really, really does. does. That the one room they wouldn't check is where Kurt liked to go to do drugs. Like, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. This was a detached garage. Yeah. And it was above the detached garage. And if, True. Which is why Tom didn't find it. Yeah. Um, but I used to work in a home that was a large estate like this that had outbuildings and stuff like that. And... Really, when you check the house, there's rooms in that house that you just didn't even know about. Or you, if if I'd never been in that specific room, I wouldn't even think to look there, you know? Yeah. Oh, also, number two pointed out something I forgot to say. She would not let Tom put cameras up at the house either. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, part. I forgot True. about that, too. Um, you know, I'll just say this, too. Like, there was a time where I was playing hide-and-go-seek with my son, and he hid so well that I thought he <laughs> wandered outside and we lost him. Like, I've yeah. never been more afraid of my life. You can and cameras you in your house. search everything when you're looking yeah. for someone. And I mean yeah. everything. I thought, I mean, I thought he could be hiding anywhere. I was pulling out like my pantry, like mm -hmm. everything. Turned out he was smaller than I thought. And he was able to fit in a, like the nightstand next to my bed. And he was quiet. Oh. And I was like shouting for him. Like, it's not a joke anymore, buddy. Like, come out. And he was, he thought it was hilarious when I finally found him. But yeah. Do you, now not, do you think it's hilarious? No, I still don't think it's hilarious. <laughs> I had to have a talk with him. I'm like, look, when we're shouting like freaked out like that, the game is over. <laughs> yeah. I Just remember that story on his wedding day when you're giving a speech, because by then it'll be funny. I literally started searching the neighborhood. I thought he wandered outside and it was like yeah. nighttime. So anyway, uh, but uh, so that's April 6th. Let's see. So we got April 7th or was I talking about April 7th? Okay. You were talking about yeah, the day before they found him. Okay, so let me go through April 7th again really quick. Courtney talks to Grant. Uh, no, no, I was talking about April 6th. This is April 7th. Courtney now only talks to Grant through Dylan Carlson. She won't talk to him face-to-face uh, -face with a game of telephone. And she becomes adamant that Grant and Dylan need to search the house and find the shotgun. Uh, she's probably getting nervous that nobody's found the body yet. It's probably uh, starting to smell. It's probably starting to smell. <laughs> so someone from the Peninsula Hotel then calls the police and says that Courtney OD'd, and she's taken to the hospital and then arrested. Michael DeWitt boards a plane on the same day and flies out to be with Courtney and Grant and Carlson search the other property and then go back to the main house and they start finding stuff that wasn't there the day before. This mm -hmm. is where when they find the Rohypnol under Courtney's, Courtney's mattress 
and they find a note on the stairs uh, from Michael Kelly DeWitt. So I'm just going to read this uh, note for you guys really quick. It says, Kurt, I can't believe you managed to be in this house without me noticing you're an effing a-hole for not calling Courtney, at least letting her know that you're okay. She's in a lot of pain. Sorry, it's kind of hard to read. Uh, a lot of pain. And this morning she had another accident and now she's in the hospital again. She's your wife and she loves you and you have a child together. Get it together or at least tell her you're okay or she's going to die. It's not fair, man. Do something now. Sound. I don't know. Tell me what you think of it. Um, it sounds contrived, right? It sounds like very contrived. Courtney was telling him exactly what to write. It doesn't sound like natural speech patterns, although they were all on drugs. So it also sounds like he's covering for himself, too, by saying, how did you come to the house? And I didn't notice you. Well, and didn't he say afterwards that he, that Kurt had come in right. and visited he did with notice him, and him because he's the one who told Courtney that yeah. he was there. And then Courtney told Tom Grant. So he's at least lying in this letter that already seems contrived. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the weird message they found. Um, and then they kept searching the house, and, but they, again, never searched the uh, the green room above the garage. So then on April 8th, this is where Cobain's body was discovered at his uh, Lake Washington Boulevard home by the electrician Gary Smith, who had arrived to install the security system, I guess security lights um, that, mm-hmm. that uh, Courtney was calling about uh, starting on the day that Cobain died. Uh, they found Cobain dead from a shotgun blast to the head. And Dylan then calls Tom Grant to let him know. And Grant shows up uh, to the crime scene and says that uh, he has information for the police and they turn him away. They basically, yeah. yeah, they just like made the assumption right away. This is suicide. We don't care what you have to say. Like, yes, maybe you've got recordings of Courtney acting strange and planning this story in the news, but we're not going to talk about it. It's crazy that they didn't at least hear him out. Right. You know, it is really, um, weird. although it was an active scene at the time and there was press and fans and everything else. It was probably crazier than your normal crime scene. Right. I but would they, assume. But so. he does call them later and he does yeah. say like, look, I've got photographic evidence of uh, things in the house being moved around after the, nobody's mm-hmm. supposed to like, He's got all this stuff. He's like, let's compare photos and see if they changed things in the house after I left that last time. And they're like, well, we don't develop photos on suicides. Mm-hmm. And in fact, these photos weren't developed until 2014. Crazy. Yeah. Until there was enough people like saying this guy probably did not kill himself, that they finally did it, you know, 20 years later. Well, and you would think if, okay, we don't develop photos on suicides, but this <clears throat> was Kurt Cobain. It wasn't just your average right. one of a million. Right. And there was questions immediately because the private investigator brought it up immediately same day that they found him that there might be some questions well, about it's this. just like Scalia too. remember when they found him dead with a pillow on his face and they're like well it was yeah. definitely a heart attack so we're not going to do an mm. autopsy it's like it doesn't matter if it was a heart attack the fact that it's, he died with a pillow on his face is going to raise questions forever so and if, that it was Anthony Scalia and that it was <laughs> Anthony Scalia yeah when yeah. someone like that famous you, you just got to treat it mm-hmm. I mean you should, they should treat all crimes like that I'm not saying that but like you can't be surprised when you spurn on a bunch of conspiracy theories when you're just like, mm-hmm. eh, sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about this crime scene really quick. So one of the things that people have heard is that it was barricaded. It was not barricaded. Um, there was a stool in front of a different door. Yeah. It was not propped up barricading the, the, the residents. Also, Kurt Cobain did not leave his driver's license out for identification. That as reported, what happened was they found his wallet and then the police opened it up, laid it on a table and took a picture for identification. 
Mm-hmm. It was not laid out like you would do for a suicide. Um, uh, also, there was no needle in his arm, and the drugs were uh, put away in a kit next to his body. There was injection marks on both his arms, and his sleeves were rolled down at the time. And the shotgun shell was ejected the opposite direction of where it was facing. So this was interesting to me because I was like, this shotgun shell was ejected. So I had to look into it. It was uh, a semi-auto shotgun. It was not a pump. Because I was like, if it was a pump, then that's like a that's a, definite that's what like. Mr. Zed said, too. We have the same. He actually, when we were looking at our shotgun before we started tonight, because I was trying to figure out the logistics of how this could all happen. Right. And we have a semi-automatic shotgun as well. And it could happen where if like he was on the floor, if he had his knee bent, it could have bounced off his knee and went. I mean, you shoot guns. You know how yeah. the, the casings yeah. can go anywhere uh, if they bounce off of something. And in the documentary, this is one of the things I was like, what are they not saying? And the first thing I thought of is, well, would you have your if you're sitting on your butt on the floor, are your knees comfortably straight out in front of you or do you have them bent well that's the thing this to me seems like a red herring like it does seem compelling when you take it by itself and then when you think about it it's like there's so many things that can happen with a shotgun shell well and how many people who are watching this documentaries uh shoot guns or know about guns or would even not or would even think to question the trajectory of the casing you know yeah it could have bounced off of something it's it it's a red herring to me like it's Mm -hmm. interesting but i don't think it by itself means a whole lot. Yeah. Um, also, some of the things people point out is that his wrist was not broken. A lot of people, again, this is just assumptions. I don't know. But they think that the way he was holding the shotgun <clears throat> would have broken his wrist. I don't know. I, I don't think so, to be honest. I don't think so either. I think that's a, it's a 20 gauge, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times people are like, oh, the shotgun, if you do this, it'll, you can shoot a 20 gauge one handed like at a weird angle and it's yeah. not going to break your wrist. So I don't, I don't buy that either, but that's just something that people put out there. So what is, is 20 gauge is less of a kick than a 12 gauge. Is that right? Yeah. So the smaller, okay. the number, the, the bigger, the, when it comes I to on, gauges, I yeah. only have one and it's a 12 gauge. So, you know. yep. 20 but gauge. even with, even with a 12 gauge, it wouldn't break your wrist. No, no, it wouldn't. Like the worst, it, it, it may be a little, bruised. I feel like that's something you hear from like, a lot of people who don't shoot guns. Yeah. I don't buy that part either. Um, what is interesting though, is the fingerprints. So there's no usable fingerprints on the gun. They said they only found four, uh, which a gun like this to me is a little weird because guns have a lot of flat surfaces and a lot of metal surfaces. And those Mm -hmm. are really good at picking up fingerprints. And I can't imagine he's moving this all around into different positions and leaves four smudged fingerprints and that's it. Like that's a little weird. weird. It, to me, it seems like someone wiped the gun and then put his four fingers on it somewhere to try to plant his fingerprints. I don't know. Um, but they also didn't check for fingerprints until May 6th, a month later. How many police officers and whoever else have handled that gun? Or if it's even if it's in a a bag or a sock, a gun sock, and people are handling it, that's wiping off fingerprints. Right. So again, that's another one where that could just be the police. Mm -hmm. Um, there was also no fingerprints on the suicide note or on the pen stabbed through it. I mean... How well does do paper pick up fingerprints? Well, paper? that's what I'm wondering too. Not as well as like on a, a metal gun. surface, like yeah, a gun. yeah, they'll <laughs> like, definitely like this show will up have on more fingerprints than this pad of paper, you know, for sure. Yeah, so that's some things that people pointed out. Um, the uh, the heroin's one that I want to talk with you about. So, this is something people say heroin in his blood at the time was 1.52 milligrams per liter. Um, mm-hmm. some places say this is at least three times what's considered a lethal dose. Um, I've listened to different experts on it. And again, 
there's there's different things here. We'll talk about it. But some experts say that even with hardcore drug addicts, that's less than a minute of being able to do stuff until you pass out. You disagree. You disagree. And, I, I'm, and you would know more than I would. So I'm curious. Here's the thing with heroin. When you first shoot heroin, you get it. It feels great. This is not advocacy, by the way, but you get a little burst of energy first and then you start to like nod off and and whatever. Um, but if he's a hardcore drug addict at three times the lethal dose for you is going to be different than the three times the lethal dose for somebody who's been on heroin for 10 years or 12 or however long he's been on heroin. So I can see how, um, how I, it, it makes sense to me that he could be on three times the le- lethal dose <clears throat> of heroin. It's the same thing they said about um, George Floyd being on fentanyl and it was like 18 million times the lethal dose and and whatever right but if he was using fentanyl all the time it would need to be that much to kill him right yeah so it wasn't the the, like the thing isn't that again that it would kill him it was more the fact like is he gonna have time to put the drugs away neatly roll his sleeves down is he thinking that clearly is he putting the shotgun in his mouth and blowing his head off after that much heroin because apparently he had needle marks in in both arms so he had to have injected twice so i i don't know Uh, but I mean, having needle marks in both arms when you're a heroin addict is completely. I guess I normal. should say they. I, again, I don't know this. It sounded like they were fresh, like as in they because fresh within a couple of minutes or that right. day. I have no you idea. Know? Exactly. If you're um, if you're, I mean, you're gonna have track marks like from week days exactly. weeks whatever. So exactly. This seems like a red herring to me. I'm assuming that the people who are saying this about like you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to that to that have not been on heroin before yeah well the one thing that i don't think is a red herring and about this is it's not the fact of whether or not he had enough tolerance to be able to do the things that they say he was able to do Mm -hmm. um and according to what some people say he had to do it also had to include writing a suicide part of a suicide note which throws it off for me but the one thing that i really find compelling about this is that heroin feels good and heroin addicts don't shoot themselves in the head this just doesn't happen uh Heroin addicts die all the time. They die from suicide all the time, but it's overdose. It's so, hopeless being on heroin. So I could I could see feeling hopeless and feeling like you want like you're useless to everybody around you and you're disappointing everybody. So why even be here? I understand all of those feelings very well. But a shotgun is not how heroin addicts kill well, in, themselves. In they that, overdose in, on in purpose. In that moment of the high though. Like that's what that's to me what it gets me is like all of a sudden you're depressed and all of a sudden you take heroin, you feel really good. Mm-hmm. Don't that's that. I think that's why people don't kill themselves. They're just like, well, I feel good now. Maybe I'll put it off. Maybe I won't like that. It's just extremely uncommon. That's all I'm saying. Like it, it, it's it possible. Be. It's still according to all evidence I've seen. I tried to find any case of a heroin addict shooting themselves in the head while they had just dosed up. Mm-hmm. It's just something that pretty much doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, not that it couldn't, but it's, it's weird. It's weird that, you know, but that's, it's uh, weird that whoever killed him didn't just overdose him. Right. That's what's weird to me. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. Cause I really think that he was killed. So I want to talk about this suicide <laughs> note too, because this, this to me just really starts stealing in. Cause I'm going to, we're going to get into some stuff again. We kind of broke the crime scene down where you could see it both ways. And I think that's good mm-hmm. to be honest, but I think that the rest of the evidence really kind of leans me into this guy was killed. So this is the suicide note. So I, I'm, uh, I'll read it for you guys, actually, if you want. It's not that long. 
Uh, it's really hard to read there. So I actually found a website. I have it somewhere. Yeah, I found a website where it, it, it has the suicide note. But I wanted you guys to notice, and we'll zoom up on it in a second, that the top of it is all one style and the bottom is quite different. Um, and this, this suicide note was written to his imaginary friend, Boda, which is also interesting. Uh, his, his childhood imaginary friend, Boda. So the suicide note says, To Boda, speaking from the tongue of an experienced simpleton who obviously would rather be emasculated, infantile, complainy, this note should be pretty easy to understand. All the warnings from the Punk Rock 101 courses over the years since my first introduction to the, shall we say, ethics involved with independence and the embracement of our community has proven to be very true. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I feel guilty beyond words about these things. For example, when we're backstage and all the lights go out and the manic roar of the crowd begins, it doesn't affect me the way in which it did for Freddie Mercury, who seemed to love uh, love and relish in the love that the adoration of the crowd, which is something I totally admire and envy. The fact is I can't fool you. Any of you, it simply isn't fair to you or me. The worst crime I can think of would be to rip people off by faking it and pretending as if I'm having 100% fun. Sometimes I feel as if I should have a punch in time clock before I walk out on the stage. I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it. And I do God believe me. I do, but it's not enough. I appreciate the fact that I and we have affected the entertainment a lot of people or affected and entertained a lot of people. It must be one of those narcissists who only appreciate things when they're gone. I'm too sensitive. I need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasms I once had as a child. On my last three tours, I've had a much better appreciation for all the people I've known personally and as fans of our music, but I still can't get over the frustration, the guilt and empathy I have for everyone. There's good in all of us. And I think simply... I think I simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel way too effing sad. The sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. Why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. I have a goddess of a wife. I'm sorry. Gee, I wonder who wrote that part. I wonder if it was like faked <laughs> earlier on than just the end. Um, I have a goddess of a wife who, who sweats ambition and empathy and a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and I will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. I can't stand the thought of Francis becoming the miserable, self-destructive death rocker that I've become. I have it good, very good, and I'm grateful, but since the age of seven, I've become hateful towards all humans in general only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy, only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Thank you from the pit of my burning, nauseous stomach. So this is where the letter changes, uh, I believe. No, no, it changes after that. It's just the last four lines. Sorry, let me get back to it. Um, so it says, thank you from the burning nauseous stomach uh, from the pit of my burning nauseous stomach for your letters and concerns during the past years. I'm too much of an erratic moody baby. I don't have the passion anymore. And so remember it's better to burn out than fade away. Peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain. That's, that's the letter that's definitely in his handwriting. And I, before I read the last few lines, does that sound like a suicide note or does it sound like someone who's writing to his fans that he's quitting the music industry, which he by all accounts is doing. It sounds like he's, it's a note to his fans that he's quitting the music industry. And also that would account <clears throat> for the bit about his goddess wife and all that, because publicly they're keeping, they're not airing their dirty laundry. Of out course not. He's asked for to, the fans. Yeah, of course. So that, 
even though it's it's funny, you know, to think about since she probably killed him, but that's why that part is in there about his wife and his daughter and and things like that because publicly you want people it's to a, know about your divorce. It's a PR stuff thing, is what it feels exactly. like. Exactly, it feels yeah. like, it, it totally feels like a press release he would write for his fans. He's like sketching it out on paper. He's got he's crossed out a bunch of parts of it. Mm-hmm. Seems like he's been working on this. Like, how do I tell my fans that I just don't love music anymore and I'm quitting? Yeah. There's nothing in there that makes him sound like he wants to kill himself. He's like, look, I need to step away from music. That's It's all about music. It's all about mm-hmm. how he doesn't enjoy being on the stage and he loves his wife and his kids and he doesn't want to raise his daughter. And that's the other thing. He talks about raising his daughter. He doesn't want to raise yeah. his daughter to be miserable like him. Wouldn't suicide do that to someone? Yeah. It does not feel like a suicide note. And then we get to the end after the, the line, peace, love, empathy, Kurt Cobain, which sounds like an end. Four, four lines, and I'll show you again here, written in a different handwriting. The letters are shaped differently. They're much bigger. And this is where people say that he had – the only handwriting analysis that says this could have been him says he had to have shot up a lot of heroin and then wrote this part. Mm-hmm. Again, which adds more to the timeline of how long he was on three times the, the supposed lethal dose of heroin before he shot himself. Well, uh, if he – just real quick, yeah. if you said he had fresh track marks in both arms, this could have been in between one dose and another dose. Could where have been. He was high, but not could have been super high. Right. I still don't buy it uh, for, for a lot of I don't know about my handwriting changing because I'm high. I I mean, I've not Especially tested someone, this. If we're gonna if we're gonna go with the theory that he is su- got such a high tolerance for heroin, does your handwriting like become drastically different when you're high? I, it's for been someone who's high 20, all the time, it's been twenty years. No, I, I don't, I, I was, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just thinking yeah. out loud. Like it sounds well, weird. Really trying to think about it too, and I just don't. I was never a poet or a writer or a songwriter, so I was not doing <clears> a lot of writing while I was high. So I just, I, I don't, I can't, I can't think of that being a thing. And maybe it is. I, I just don't know. So this is where the letter changes drastically in tone and in handwriting size and shape. And it says, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. Yeah. That sounds like a Courtney love addition to a letter about leaving your band. It really does. Really, really, really really does. does. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. Because... Uh, because of Rosemary Carroll. So Rosemary Carroll is Kurt and Courtney's attorney. She's also the godmother of Francis Bean Cobain. And a- a- around this time, Courtney went and stayed with her and Rosemary found some things in her backpack. Uh, she became very suspicious of Courtney as well and started talking to Tom Grant. And one of the things she found in her backpack was practice handwriting. Uh, I have this somewhere. I'm sorry. I've got a, she found practice handwriting in the style of Kurt Cobain's letters. Uh, so you can kind of see that there. She finds that and she also finds a to-do list and on the to-do list is get arrested on the to-do list. Kill husband. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If only, but it does say, it does say get arrested as in, I need to be in prison when they find Kurt's body, which she was, uh, because the Peninsula hotel. Yeah. No, no, no. She was at, no, she, uh, on the seventh, she got arrested. Oh, so she was actually in, was she in jail when they found his body or was she at the hotel? I I was thinking that they just like let her out right away. I don't, it was, I, I don't, don't know. know. California so I've lets read, people out. I've read that she got let out and then went right to Rosemary Carroll's. So either way, gotcha. 
She was at the Peninsula Hotel. Then she OD'd and was arrested. And she even told Tom Grant at one point that she would fake. She has in the past faked ODing to to get in the news or to get out of things. So that's something she's admitted to. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's admitted to putting stories in the press and having people put stories in the press about her to boost her fame, whatever, to do things. So she's admitted to faking ODs before. She ODs on the 7th, supposedly, gets arrested, goes to the hospital, gets arrested, and then goes and stays with Rosemary Carroll, who finds the note that says, by the way, during these days while my husband's missing, I have to make sure I get arrested, and I've practiced his handwriting. And, I mean, she made sure that she's not only in a different state, a different city, but she's well-tracked in that By place. a lot of people. Yeah. Including the police. A lot of people and paper trail, too. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, very weird. And this is the last thing I'll say before I, I see people saying they want to hear me say MK Ultra. We will talk MK Ultra over on Rumble here in a minute. This is the last thing I'm going to say over here on uh, YouTube before we move on to that. There's a guy named El Duce, El Duce, uh, whose real name is Eldon Hoke. And he was the drummer and lead singer for a local band called The Mentors. And he says that Courtney offered to pay him $50,000 to whack Kurt Cobain. So let's check this clip out real quick. Yeah. So, but you, uh, you did some deal with Courtney, right? Yeah. Well, she offered me 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I was telling you. She what? 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. And that's that. That's a fact, is it? <laughs> but uh, people might think you're not the most reliable witness. Well, that's too bad. You may not be the reliable witness your own self. <laughs> now think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when she offered me money. God dang! I wish I would have taken it, man. But I. I know who whacked him. But how were you going to whack him? Did she tell you how to do it? Yeah, blow his fucking head off. So she where were you going to find him to do it? Well, up there, and uh, she gave, you know, mapped it out. I mean, you know, up there in uh, Bellevue, wherever they live, right outside Seattle. I know right where the house is. I know right what, what uh, garden pop him in. Uh, I, just, I just didn't think she was serious. But did she tell you how she wanted you yeah, to pop him? Yeah, she just blow his fucking head off. I got the shotgun. But she didn't say anything about Make making it look, it look like, like a suicide. suicide. Well, yeah, but if you just blew his brains out like you said, it wouldn't look like suicide. It looked like you blew his brains right. out, right? But uh, I told Alan, I mean, uh, my friend, who... <laughs> uh, I'll let the FBI catch him. All right, so that's interesting to me. Now, watching this guy, of course he doesn't seem like a reliable witness. He's a perpetual drunk weirdo, but... There's two moments in this that just scream that he's telling the truth to me. And the first one is when he just straight up is like, man, I wish I would have taken the money like yeah. that. It just it doesn't seem like a lie right there. It just it it, there feels really honest. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is that slip up where he goes, I know who killed him. My friend uh, Al, or oops. And that yeah. didn't seem like an accident either. That seemed like a very natural mistake no i've seen people accidentally dox people uh, like real names and stuff and that's exactly what i've done it myself well i'm not supposed to be saying people's real names and that's the exact reaction you have yeah and when i watch it i've watched this a few times he's either a really great actor which he's not the guy's just a drunk weirdo like drunk local weirdo or he's telling the truth. I just, I can't see any other way around it. And when you look into uh, Alan Wrench, who he's talking about, supposedly his friend Alan Wrench, 
Uh, this is a guy who was another local musician. He was known for his random acts of violence and all of his friends say he was perpetually broke. He was, a, you know, another mm-hmm. drug addict, always broke until right after Kurt's death, he went and bought a new Corvette. Yeah. And what's even stranger is that on April 19th, 1997, this is one day after his final performance, uh, talking about uh, Hoke, El Duce, mm-hmm. uh, and eight days after talking to this film crew here, he was found dead on the railroad tracks in Riverside, California. He was decapitated in an accident when he was hit uh, by a freight train doing 60 miles an hour. He had alcohol content in his bloodstream, and the coroners labeled this as a misadventure. A misadventure. A lot of people uh, think that Alan Wrench pushed him onto these train tracks. Uh, oh, for sure. Like, I, people do stupid stuff and get drunk and are, are idiots, but you kind of see a train coming. Like, a, like it's not, uh, you know, it's not accidentally stepping into traffic. It's a train. Yeah, and it's very, um, it just struck me now. I, there's a. It struck I him, forget. too, in 1997. <laughs> um, but there's some of Kurt's song lyrics are a song that he covered, but was about a man getting hit by a train and they found his head, but never his body. And like, it's very um, poetic. You say Foo Fighters? Guy died. Hmm? Did you say the lyrics were Foo Fighters? No, no, no it was. Um, I, I don't remember which song it was, but it was it was one of Kurt Cobain's songs oh, okay. that either he covered, it was one of the folk songs that he okay. covered, or one of his songs where it's about a man getting hit by a train and yeah. them not finding his body and something like that. Yeah. Somebody in the chat will know what yeah. song I'm about. Somebody let us know. But uh, yeah, what are your what are your final thoughts on this before we talk about uh, uh, Courtney Love being an MKUltra agent? Well, when you first a few days ago said, hey, do you want to cover this with me? I was thinking that Kurt killed himself. I really was. And then I went back and forth like over the last few days, back and forth several times. And I don't think he did. I think he if they would have given enough to- him enough time, he may have. But there was a clock running on that divorce. So we had to get it done quicker. That's what I think. One of the other things I forgot to mention is at this point, according to um, Carol, their attorney court mm-hmm. had filed, but it was not official. His new will. Interesting. And Courtney went to Rosemary Carroll and asked her not to approve it. So Courtney, oh. Courtney kept the money. So there's a lot there. Yeah. That. Rosemary Carroll's another person. Again, attorney for both Courtney and Kurt. Again, the people she hires to work for her are telling mm-hmm. us that she killed Kurt. Yeah. El Duce telling us that she, and he seems honest, as as weird of a guy, as untrustworthy of a guy as he is, I, I, he's either a really good actor, he's being honest there. That's what he's I, that's not, my only take He's from not it. an actor. <laughs> he's not. He's not. So yeah. I, you know, I agree. I, I used to think it was kind of just one of those weirdo conspiracy theories where it's like, you know, you can always find something. And then yeah. I looked into it and I'm like, oh no, this guy, this guy was killed. Courtney had him killed. Well, and the fact that the guy that um, was name dropped by accident bought like all of a sudden had money right right after is kind of fishy enough to buy a new Corvette. Yeah. And didn't he buy a house or something, too? I think so. I, there was yeah. another clip that's deleted off of YouTube now that I, I wanted to find um, mm-hmm. of somebody coming up to Alan Wrench and asking him questions. And he just seemed really, really guilty. I I saw that this week and yeah and he like he said I we're not talking about this and storms out 
Yeah, he yeah. seems he seemed pretty guilty. And if you had nothing to do with it, wouldn't you be like, I can't believe you're bringing this up. People ask me about <laughs> this all the time. I didn't do anything and just look them in the eyes. And like, yeah. even if you are guilty, this is not a how to get away with crime channel. But just like my channel's not. But sometimes <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> just look them in the eyes and say, no, wasn't me. Like the song. It wasn't me. And I'm not a lie detector, but uh, but that El Duce guy, his eyes were not shifty at all. Like they, they were at first. And then he when he was talking about like, man, I wish you would have paid me. He just looked serious. Like this is another one it's of those a weird thing to say if you like to incriminate yeah. yourself that way. We've all known somebody like this guy in our lives who's just drunk and, a, and <clears throat> tells too much of the truth all of the time. This right. is what this guy seems like to me. I've known yeah. people like this. Yeah, I love the comment. Don't want to be your Allen wrench. That's great. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. We're going to continue this conversation over on Rumble. I dropped it in the chat for you guys there. Again, if you're listening to this later. Oh, wait, I'm going to pause this. I'm going to do one more thing before we head out because I promised I would do this. I appreciate you guys so much that come over to locals and subscribe to us. And the other thing I really appreciate is the people who listen to this taking a few minutes to give us five-star reviews. And I like to read those. So we had another five-star review from Cody, the country boy over on iTunes. And I'm just gonna read it for you guys and, and say, thank you, Cody. It says not your usual conspiracy show. This is not your typical conspiracy show. PJ and Abby take a humorous approach to per, uh, presenting facts. They do their research and it shows if you follow them on Twitter, you will see that this is their passion. You will uh, constantly be looking forward to the next episode. Support them on Locals. I think the bonus content is worth it. Thank you so much, Cody, the country boy. I appreciate that. With that, we're going to head over to Rumble. You can find the full, again, if you're an audio listener, version of this on our Locals channel as well if you don't want to watch it on Rumble. Uh, peace out, everyone. We'll see you over there. God bless. Thank you again, Katie. Appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. Thank <laughs> you.